what then is this child going to be? Uh, that's what the people said as they looked at Zechariah. Now, I'm sure all parents or grandparents have done just that. The new baby's finally asleep. They creep into the bedroom, they gaze lovingly over the side of the cot and they wonder what life has in store for their child. Uh, so many opportunities, so much hope and expectation, so much potential. They've made it through the pregnancy and the birth. They've worked out feeding and bathing and changing nappies. Now they have a chance to stop and to draw breath and imagine, what then is this child going to be? Will they be healthy or smart or good at sport? Will they have a job they enjoy? Will they marry and give us grandkids? <laughs> For most new parents, they don't know the answers to those questions. They have dreams and hopes, maybe a few plans, but they don't really know what will happen in the next few weeks, let alone the next few decades. But for John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, things were a bit different, weren't they? Uh, we saw a couple of weeks ago how it happened. They thought they'd missed their chance for kids. They were too old, too barren, with no hope. Until one day an angel appears to Zechariah and tells him that God's heard his prayers. Uh, they're going to have a son after all these years and they're there to call him John. And then he tells Zechariah who John will be. Uh, back in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 1, he'll be a prophet like Elijah and he will bring people back to the Lord their God. Uh, remember though, when Zechariah doubts the angel's words, he's rebuked and disciplined. Verse 20, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true. And sure enough, that's what happens. He can't talk because he won't believe. But before long, thankfully, the angel's other words also come true. Elizabeth becomes pregnant and we pick up their story at verse 57 that Melba read for us. She gives birth to a baby boy and everyone's overjoyed. Uh, we're told they shared her joy. Uh, it's a lovely way of describing it, isn't it? Uh, of a community uh, who share the joy of one person. Uh, everyone's rejoicing because, verse 58, God has shown her great mercy. Uh, it literally says he's magnified his mercy to her. God has given something good which is undeserved. That's what mercy is. He could have left Elizabeth childless. Plenty of people are never able to have kids. There's nothing special about Elizabeth except that God magnified his mercy to her and gave her a son and everyone's joyful. Does God's great mercy give you joy? That's really the question at Christmas, isn't it? There are all sorts of emotions we experience at Christmas. <laughs> Tiredness. Frustration at shopping crowds and traffic queues, impatience with extended family Christmases, perhaps. But is there joy? That's what we should feel, because in God's great mercy, he's given us Jesus. A free gift, a gift of life, forgiveness, peace and hope. We deserve nothing from God. The human race deserves nothing from God except judgment. But God gave the world his precious only son to give life to those who deserve death. That's mercy. That, that's a reason to be joyful. 
That was Elizabeth and her friends. Meanwhile, poor old Zechariah, he's sitting silent in the corner, all because he doubted God's word. When they turn to him and ask him what they will name the baby, he gets the chance to put things right. Now, the normal thing would be to call him Zechariah after his dad, Zechariah ben Zechariah. But the angel had told him to call the baby John. He, he calls for a chalkboard. Verse 63, everyone is amazed when he writes, John is his name. I made the mistake of doubting God once, so I'm not going to do that again. And as soon as he does, verse 64, God unblocks his tongue and he can speak again. It's the first time in months. And from verse 67, Zechariah makes up for lost time and he starts praising God with an amazing song that we'll look at in a moment. But just look at the reaction of the well-wishers, verse 65. The neighbours were all filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was on him. There it is. That's, that's the big question. In other words, keep your eye on this one. He is destined for greatness. What do you expect with a start like this? Angel visits, miraculous conceptions, a man struck dumb and then miraculously healed. He's got all the signs of something amazing is going to happen in his life. Because, you see, it's not just the long-awaited birth for Zechariah and Elizabeth. In a sense, the whole nation has been eagerly waiting. They've been eagerly waiting for God to act. They are just as hopeful as these first-time parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Israel has been hoping for God to keep his promises and to send a saviour, a special king who will set them free. For centuries, the prophets had been silent. They'd been waiting and waiting and hoping, but nothing. Until the angel Gabriel and his words of promise. Until the baby John and the miraculous healing of his father. Now, these were all hopeful signs that God was at work. What then will this child be? In fact, did you notice the similarity between Zechariah and the nation of Israel? Israel refuses to trust God, they disobey and worship idols, and so he leaves them in silence to wait and to hope. And Zechariah, who refuses to trust God, and so God leaves him in silence to wait and to hope. It's like Zechariah is a, a, a little mini Israel, and God is making an example of him to show what he can do to show how he can transform and not just an old man but a whole nation how he can transform a nation from disbelieving silence into hopeful joy he does it with zechariah will he do it with israel now this is all of god's grace now that's why the name john is so important because that's what John means in Hebrew, God is gracious. God is gracious. And that power to change, the power to transform a life from disbelieving silence to believing joy, 
It comes with the birth of Jesus. The power to change comes from the birth of Jesus. And so from verse 67, look at this change that comes in Zechariah. Uh, From silent doubt to trusting praise, uh, verse 67, the Holy Spirit fills him and he answers their question, what then is this child going to be? Well, let me tell you what he's going to be. And that begins actually a bit halfway through the song, verse 76, he, he starts talking about uh, John, but before he gets to John, he actually sings about God. He sings about the, the one who God sends, the one who John will grow up to announce. He sings about Jesus. And so from verse 68 to 75, we learn about God. And it's all to do with God rescuing his people. Look at verse 68. Praise be to the Lord because he's come and redeemed his people. He's stepping into history to buy them back from slavery, to rescue them from danger, to restore them to freedom. Notice from verse 69, it's not some one-off event. It's not God's first and only act. This is the the culmination, the, the climax, the end of his plans. He promised it long ago and now he's bringing it to completion, to pass. Verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. God promised it and now he's delivering. He made a covenant with Abraham and now he's delivering on those promises. Verse 72 and 73. But notice who he's actually describing. He's not actually talking about John. John's not from the line of David. He's from the line of Levi. He's actually talking about Jesus who hasn't been born yet. He recognises from the angel and the miraculous birth of his son John that God is beginning to act. His promises are coming to pass. Even if he doesn't understand exactly how. Then from verse 74 and 75, Zechariah turns his attention to God's people and how they will benefit from God's salvation. Look at verse 74. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. God is doing a new thing again. God rescues us so that we can serve him. That's the same word for worship. Just like he rescued Israel from Egypt so they could worship him in the desert. It's actually what all of us were made for. We were made to worship God, to live with him as number one and everything else second. But mostly we ignore God. We don't live with him as number one. We put ourselves first and everything else comes after. Mostly we don't even think about God. That's what sin is. It's the opposite of worship. But we were not saved for that. Despite the way we treat God, his mercy is that he wants us to serve him, to worship him. And so he sends Jesus. And he sends John first to get people ready. Jesus comes to rescue us, to restore us, to make us his friends so that we can serve him or worship him the way we were designed. That's interesting, verse 74 and 75. I think 
it's actually a summary, a pretty good summary of the whole message of the Bible. Don't you think? Uh, He's come to rescue us from our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's the message of the whole Bible. Uh, So let's look at it a little more closely. God rescues us so that we might serve him without fear, firstly. Uh, When God makes us his friends, when we used to be enemies, we no longer need to fear God. We actually don't need to fear anything else. Uh, We have no fear of his judgment. But no fear of anything else in life. It doesn't mean the Christian's life will be pain-free or trouble-free. But God does promise us that those things that happen need not scare us. Death need not scare us. Or sickness, or poverty, or pain, or loneliness, or abandonment. These verses are saying that none of those things matter all that much, really, because God has guaranteed us a secure future. Now that's a truth you often see a Christian in hospital experience who faces surgery or faces death. Jesus has conquered death for that person and so death holds no fear for the person who trusts Jesus. We've been saved to serve him without fear. Secondly, God's purpose in saving us is that we might worship him in holiness and righteousness before him. Now that means we are right with God. Nothing stands in the way, no sin, no anger, no betrayal, no long list of charges hanging over our head. Our past is forgotten, God has dealt with it. We are forgiven, we stand before him with a completely clean record. That's righteousness before him. But not only a right standing, we actually begin to live out that right standing. Life for the Christian looks different. We don't just serve and worship God here on a Sunday, we serve and worship God in all our life as we obey him. Part of our worship is to value God's way of living in the mess of ordinary life, ordinary everyday temptations. Choosing honesty and truth and purity and gentleness and love. That is a life of righteousness lived before him. We live righteously because God has made us righteous. Uh, The third part there is that uh, we've been saved to serve him all our days. Uh, Eternity. God saves us forever. He doesn't just save us until the next time we slip up. Uh, and then you're gone, he saves us forever. Which is wonderful, isn't it? God's salvation is so that we can worship him without fear in holiness and righteousness all our days. What a wonderful vision of life. What a wonderful vision for you to live and a wonderful vision for you to share with people who don't understand that. Now that's the big picture that Zechariah uh, sees. He missed it first time, but not this time. He sees it with the help of God's Holy Spirit and he praises God for his goodness. Well, finally, verse 76, Zechariah moves on to John himself. To see that there, verse 76, and you, my child, he finally begins to answer the question, what will this child be? What part will John play? 
He will be a prophet from God who will prepare the way for Jesus. Now notice his message, verse 77, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Now this is the same salvation Zechariah has been talking about. God will save his people so they can worship him. Uh, And it's salvation that begins with forgiveness of sin. John will actually declare that. We actually see him doing that. If you flip over the page into chapter 3, we discover that he preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And verse 78, God grants that forgiveness because of his tender mercy. Notice mercy. We we come back to that idea again. We back up in verse uh, 58. Elizabeth's friends shared her joy because God had shown her great mercy. But far more than just providing a baby John, God's tender mercy is for the world when he gives the baby Jesus who brings forgiveness and life to the world because of God's tender mercy. Now that's the message John gets to declare. Zechariah's seen it. He's been transformed from faithless silence into trusting joy, all by the power of God's Holy Spirit, all because of the coming of God's Son, Jesus. And I think there is a model in Zechariah for us to follow that we might move from disbelieving silence to joyful song. So will you join with Zechariah? God has shown us great mercy. So will you worship him without fear in holiness and righteousness with great joy all your days? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Zechariah. We, We thank you that you changed an old man from someone who didn't believe into someone who believed and had great joy and saw you clearly and your plans. Uh, Might you do that work in us, uh, whether we are not yet Christian or whether we've been Christians for 50, 60, 70 years. Uh, Might your spirit work in us that we may serve you without fear in righteousness and holiness all our days with great joy. Amen.